so wait, what's this about your mom designed the Sony logo? Well, she was uh, working for an advertising agency in the 60s. Oh, wait, hold up. That's real? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's tight. Welcome to the B-Side. Scoop, Isaac, Jahan, Arthur, the music snobs. This is the Music Snobs episode 20. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I am joined as I always am with Scoop, Isaac, and Jahan. R. Kelly's got a new album coming out, Isaac, <laughs> and it's called Black Panties. <laughs> Why you call me out on that? <laughs> That's your boy. That's your boy. He's from your hometown. I, I don't claim him, though. <laughs> Not like you do. No, you claim him. I don't even know the guy. I, I recognize his talent despite his uh, many uh, faults. Mm. <clears throat> Look, but before we get in there, I wanna... it, Wait a minute. What's it called again? Black Panties. Okay. All right. That's the album. That ain't the song. That ain't like the lead single hook. That's the album. He's going to go on radio and television and be like, yeah, I got this album coming out God called Black you. Panties. You can't go wrong with Black Panties, though. And see, that's part of my frustration because R. Kelly is an iconic artist. One of the, the iconic artists in R&B. And it's spilled over into pop music. I mean, this is the man that, that wrote I Believe I Can Fly. School children sing this in, at, at school assemblies. And come braid my hair. Right. <laughs> come on now. We do. We Great, come on. One of the greatest throwaway lyrics. It wasn't even a real lyric. It was like a throwaway. So this man. So this man has built his career on iconic music. Where is that today? Do we have icons today? I think that's a great question because I, I don't think it's quite. He's an icon. I think that's understood. Is right. he? Is he? Is he the right way to even sort of introduce this he i mean is he an icon is he global like michael jackson is an icon but i, th- but I think R. Kelly is an icon, icon but i don't you think you can't tr- use michael as a bar right the problem is with sorry to sort of stop us here but the problem with starting with r kelly is that he's a 2013 artist for the most part right i mean no he's a 90s artist no he's a 90s artist he's still he's an icon no he started in the 90s but most of his career has been after that most of his success like in the clothes and everything that's been after that he ain't no 2013 i mean think think you too right, i don't i disagree you, you I disagree. too he's you not, too he's not an, like talented as he is it takes more than talent to be an icon like what's he symbolic of he's not an icon like mike prince madonna springsteen um, he was you know, an Freddie icon. Mercury. No, he, but, he was but, an icon. He's not an speaker. icon, and that's an icon. He's an artist who's been very successful. But I think Arthur's thing is that Trey Songs is not an icon. Am I right? <laughs> there we are. Yeah, yeah, but why would you scrape? But why would you scrape the bottom of the barrel like that? Oh, damn! Ah, <laughs> uh, you know what? Jay, no, no, John, no, John, no. at his at his peak. We're not talking about right now, but at his peak in the '90s, he was an icon. He went over. He 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 toured all over the world and sold out stadiums. He's an icon. At his peak. People in India did not know who he was. Dude, okay. you can't you can't use the Michael Jackson comparison. You cannot do that. Okay, watch this, fellas. Watch this. Is Jay Dilla the icon? Within a small <laughs> within, within Yeah, let's go to India and see if the people are banging off a of Jay Dilla then. 
No, the whole point is he's not because he is iconic to a very small group of people. Same okay, with let's, 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 let me bring it back. Let me bring it back. Hold on, hold on. Same with R. Kelly. Hold on. Same with R. Kelly. Let me reel it back in for some congruency. Madonna, fully agreed upon icon. Lady Gaga, 2013 icon. Yes? I, I don't think anybody, the Lady Gaga's, the Katy Perry's, the, you know, uh, Rihanna's, as popular as they are now, I don't, I don't think they're at iconic levels for their careers yet. Because they're young artists? They haven't done enough work to become icons, I don't think. But and what unless, about- unless there's a different definition of icons. Okay, but okay, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, they haven't done the work. I got that. But the music industry has changed. These artists don't have to tour like artists had to tour 30 years ago, 20 years ago. They don't have to put in the same amount of work. They don't have to put in the same amount of work. They don't have to. They don't have to make a video that gets on MTV because MTV doesn't. I'm always talking about MTV, like but I'm saying you know the new MTV is YouTube, right? Right. And that's all you need, like Psy. That, is that how you say his name? Dude yeah, yeah, that yeah. does the dance and things I, like that? I don't that. think he's an icon. But he is iconic. For He's a big song. The same thing as the people that made Macarena. It's the same size. That doesn't make you an icon. Unless the bigger conversation on Arthur is that the music has changed. The right. music industry has changed right. also. But has the definition of what an icon is changed along with it? I, th- I think so. Yeah, I, I think so too. Here's, here's my counterpoint to the whole, the whole conversation. Though. Okay. I think that in 2013, in the 80s, let me back up, in the 80s and previously, to be considered iconic, I think you had to appeal to the masses as a whole and the mainstream as a whole. I think that now, excuse me, in 2013, it's possible to become iconic by appealing to a niche group. In other words, Lady Gaga really she's you know she's well known she's very famous but i'm saying i think her icon status is really built on her core consumer which is young girls and gay men you know i think she's even said that's her that's her core constituency artists are recording albums long periods of time between one album to another michael jackson was kind of an exception to the to the rule of having an album out every year maybe every other year do artists today need an iconic album? Scoop talked about you need to do the work, build a catalog. Jahan, you know, you're talking about artists. They have real catalog, 10 albums, 12 albums deep. You don't necessarily need that anymore because today an artist, they can go direct to consumer, build an image, become iconic. No, but that goes to you. That, but that goes to your point about the definition of icon in this generation being different than what it was before. You know, we'll go to somebody or a group. Let's say, let's go to Daft Punk. Or let's go to Danger Mouse. You know, Danger Mouse's image may be more iconic mm-hmm. than the group themselves. You know what I'm saying? But that lends to them being icons. You can walk down the street and or any street anywhere. Istanbul, you know, America, parts of London, Australia, and you can show the Danger Mouse image and people be like, okay, I know what that is, but ask them to name one Danger Mouse song. I beg to differ. I think that though culturally we changed the definition a long time ago. Because I think that the actual I looked it up. The actual definition of icon is a person or thing regarded as a representative symbol of something. Thank you. What did I say? Thank you. The key word being representative. And I think that what 
what we as a culture has changed that into and us here at this table as well is popularity and mm-hmm. that's not what an icon is it's no. not about being popular so in that regard you can argue that jay dill is an icon because of what he represents mm-hmm. you can argue that r kelly is an icon because of what he represents the representative uh, power of something to resonate within a certain group of people is what I'm trying to get at. Lady Gaga does not have to be important to me or to millions of other people my age, my group. Her music may not have anything to do with it. May not have anything to do with it. Her iconic uh, uh, presence and her capturing a moment and representing a group of people Mm -hmm. is what makes her an icon. I think though we've gotten the word twisted and the the definition twisted to mean popularity and I think where Jahan's mistake is is that he's saying it's a numbers game. Millions and millions millions of people it's not a numbers game it's not a numbers game i think that our culture has turned it into a numbers game and really that's a that's a well i think i think jahan's if i may i think jahan's argument has more to do with the 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 number of people that resonate with that symbol yeah i mean i mean the bottom line to me is it's not just it's not just a numbers game right it's what resonates with a huge amount of people and what establishes some sort of longevity. So right now, today, you will have millions and millions of people following one thing today, and then they'll follow something completely different next month. And the thing that they follow today in millions of numbers, it will be forgotten. You know, it's very transitory. Support nowadays, even in high volumes, even in dramatically high volumes, is very, very transitory. So is it fair to say that the formula for uh, Icon... <clears throat> excuse me status is longevity plus uh numbers plus impact uh, i don't think longevity i think longevity has a role to play but kirk cobain but you could argue his his life was short but the longevity of his impact has been long no i i think see arthur that's a very i think these are exceptions i think cobain james dean hendrix you know Jim Morrison these are exceptions rather than the rule mm-hmm. these are and, 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 and all of those people is very much a time and place aspect too the classic example of a Cobain situation somebody who hasn't died well you could throw could you throw um, uh, okay, Amy Winehouse in it could you throw her in the whole Kirk Cobain situation yeah I think you can now can you throw Adele like but here's, here's my thing somebody who's not dead can you throw Adele in there in icon status no I think she's very See, very that's famous a great, that's a great point where death plays a role, mm-hmm. <laughs> death is another component that may go into you becoming an icon because it gives you yeah, martyr definitely, status. Definitely, because you know, it's I, a story. Because to be I, an icon, it's not just about it's not just about your output. It's about mm-hmm. every everything about you. It's about your image. It's about how people see you, mm-hmm. and people will often see you because of a particular story. What do people see when they look at Adele? They don't necessarily see oh, there's a history here. There's a pain. There's drug abuse. There's this. There's that. Adele. Nothing happens with Adele that's on that at the moment. She's just very, very famous. I, I agree right with now. you. I think though, you know, for a quick second to play. Uh, the role that or to, to do what Scoop did when I was arguing when we had the Amy uh, Winehouse Adele conversation because it was like you were saying that you know there's no pain there's no this and Scoop told me I remember doing that conversation like you only like sad music like mm-hmm. you know the shit has to be you know uh, terrible for it to be iconic so putting that aside though I think that I agree with you Jay I think that when you look at Madonna, because to me, Madonna was an icon in the 80s, long before, you know, maybe her her second or third album, she had established herself as this iconic you know, presence. I think that that's tied to change. When someone comes along and enters the conversation and the entire conversation changes, suddenly you get to this iconic status. So I think that 
it doesn't it's, it's tied to longevity in the long term but I think that you can look at somebody now and this is why I agree with you I don't think Adele is an icon and Amy was an icon before she died in my eyes but because she entered the conversation and suddenly everything changed and it was like now we have to have a completely different conversation the person responsible for that usually gets you know rewarded some type of iconic status so Rihanna and Nicki Minaj Nicki Minaj no, no but I will, one. I will say I think that not not to me but I think that Rihanna is going to go down in history as an icon because to tens and tens of millions of her fan of young girls of that generation, you know, she's their their Madonna. She's their right. uh, Janet Jackson. I think, I think she you know is right. saying? I, she's. I, I, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you where I I'll, I'll tell you where I differ. I think she'll go down in history, if anything, as a style icon. You know, she's photographed on almost a daily basis in sundry number of bikinis. Um, outfits, walking across New York, whatever. You can say that. Uh, I, I you can say the same thing for Kim Kardashian, she, she, though. No, no, no. But wait, she's yeah, the same thing for Kim Kardashian. Well, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, but Rihanna's maybe, music maybe, resonates, maybe man. But but, you but, can't. But, but but no, it. I, I see. I think to to me, Rihanna's music is of the time. It ain't. If you hear Material Girl now, yeah, it's out of date. But it's Material Girl. I don't necessarily. Or I I don't know. To me. Umbrella or whatever, that's the only one I can name. No, she's, I think it's you're not going to hit you between the eyes, or it's not. You're not. You're not going to be like, wow, I remember where I was. My mum knows Material Girl. You know, yeah, my mum knows. But, but look at uh, our Amy Winehouse. Uh, uh, Lovers are losing game. She don't know no Rihanna tunes. But Jay, that's our. And when Madonna was doing Material Girl, we were all in our teens or younger. So yeah, we're going to remember that. You're not going to remember Rihanna because that's not your generation. Rihanna no, has. Mom, Rihanna has. Saying is my mum was. She was. You know, she wasn't in her teens as young as I am. She wasn't in her teens when Material Girl came out. I mean, but so, uh, uh, your mom is the reception. She designed the Sony logo. Your mom is the exception to, to the rule, out. dog. Shout, shout out. out to you know what I'm saying? It's like, Jahan, we, we, Jahan can't, we can't bring Michael into the conversation. You can't bring your mom into every conversation. All right. So <laughs> let's, those are the exceptions. But I'm saying, though, Rihanna has hits on top of hits on top of hits. Those songs, when those people who are, you know, 13 now listening to that, when they're in their 20s and 30s and 40s and they hear that, it's going to resonate. With them. I don't think so. I think Absolutely. I think Rihanna is I think Rihanna is transitory fame. I think no, that's what it is. No, 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 no. Beyonce is different. See, but Beyonce, Beyonce to me, dog. Rihanna's catalog is better than uh, Beyonce. But we're not talking about catalog. We're just I mean, talking, I'm just we're saying, talking about okay, icon status. Beyonce, we're talking about Rihanna, now. Now you're getting the conversation about being a subjective. Right. It's exactly, about it's subjective. Now but, it's like who, how you feel about this, and to me, that's not a definition. I don't know how we can say Lady Gaga is an icon, but Rihanna's not an icon. I don't get that. I don't, I don't, to me we didn't say that. <laughs> I said it, and I'm owning it. And I'm owning I don't it. understand how can Lady Gaga be an icon, but Rihanna's not an icon. Ain't there is nothing about Rihanna? Nothing that is subjective. That is Have you looked at her with that your eyes unique. open? That is subjective, but it's still yeah, subjective. She's a beautiful. She's a. She's a. She's. She. You know. She's a beautiful woman. But it's a, it's a, but once again, I hate to be seen like we're sticking on female artists right now. But Aaliyah's an icon. Would you say that? She's she's a Tumblr icon. No, I would say that, but I think some of that has to do with her death, though. Right, that was I was going back to the point of that. Now, once again, you say, and Arthur, this gets to my point is that asking you what the definition is because here you have two individuals, one saying one thing and one saying the other off the same artist. Frankly, we're but still as long exploring as it what is, the definition is. Right. So to me, it's going to be hard to qualify what is an icon unless we get a firm definition of what it is at this point. Back in the day, I we think don't, we knew. We don't agree on the definition, though, and, and I think, I'm, I'm I'm being objective because, I, you know, I couldn't 
care less about Lady Gaga. I couldn't right. care less about Beyonce. I'm, I haven't mentioned in, in a contemporary context, everybody right. I've mentioned, the people that I have like zero time for. Right. But point being is they are iconic, indisputably to me. They're known the world over. They're, you know, people, are, people treat them like the, the Messiah. People, you know, faint right. when they walk by, etc. I think I've got somebody. I think I've got somebody that fits a model of what an icon is, or at least that criteria in 2013. Questlove. Oh, you're close. When icons about more than just talent. Questlove is on Twitter. Questlove has a book. Questlove is on everybody's record. Questlove knows everybody's got stories about every. He's the everyman. People know who Questlove is, but don't know his music. The Roots don't have one iconic album. I didn't, I'm not saying Philadelphia no, Life wasn't a cold album. But in, in the context right, of close. what Jahan is saying, I don't see where Questlove transcends cultures. Yes. I think he transcends through his Jimmy Fallon. I think he transcends through his associations. Jimmy Fallon, yeah, through his associations. He transcends through his associations. There's your definition right there. Scoop's got it. A transcendent figure. Right. That is a sim- that is symbolic. But of I don't something. think just being on Jimmy Fallon gives him a template where he not transcends. He just happens to be. There's not. There's there happens not to be a, a job. He hasn't touched it. Yeah. But that doesn't make him uh, in the context yeah. of icon. He, you could say the same for Herbie Hancock. He's been able to dibble and dabble in certain things, but he hasn't transcended that. Thank you. Yeah. He I'm hasn't changed the culture of is. talk show show talk show there bands and how they do. He stuff. might. He might if Fallon gets called up to the Tonight Show. When we say iconic. When we say iconic, we always say something. He's an iconic wide receiver. He's an iconic bass player. He's an iconic. That's I think one of the problems we get into is we're using icons so broadly. We always when, right. we, when we use it, we like, always associate. Questlove is an iconic everyman or mm-hmm. iconic, you know, whatever the hell he is. He actually man, does. I don't know. But yeah. He's an iconic. He's iconic at that. See, but I would see my thing would be not Questlove, but Kanye to me is iconic. If you talk about contemporary artists, that and music, he's with. iconic. I think that's unquestionable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in popularity and in what he does. He's the barometer, not Questlove. Questlove to me is questionable. Kanye is unquestionable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Questlove is questionable. <laughs> yeah, you like that, right? I'm glad you caught that. I can't see Questlove in the Kanye conversation right now. And to me, that's the person that is the icon in some circles. Going back nah. to the subjective idea, you just might. Nah, I don't. You, I think you know he's what? I, you know what? I, I think, think soccer moms know who Questlove is, man. Soccer moms know who Kanye is. This is true. But Kanye can also say, I am iconic for interviews. I am iconic for hooking up with Kim Kardashian. I am iconic because of style. You know what I'm saying? He is transcendent. I'm iconic for hitting that. Right. Ray J's iconic. Right, Ray J's iconic. Yeah, I, First. I mean, look, I'm, I'm kind of sort of with Scoop. I'm closest to Scoop on this than anybody else, but... Right. You know, you guys keep mentioning artists that are iconic to you in your view or in your. But no, but I'm trying to. It's no. about come through. A, I'm trying to get a big but fish Jahan, in a shallow pond. You keep saying it's not a numbers game. You said it's not a numbers game, John. It and isn't then you a numbers game, numbers. but it also isn't like I hate to sort of like what Scoop always attacks me with. It's got to resonate with more than what do you say, Scoop? You. Five people. <laughs> right. Exactly. But and I'm but, trying to get a big fish from a shallow pond. I'm not. I'm not trying to argue that that there's a dearth of, of of talent that we could debate on who's more iconic. Who's more iconic, Prince or Bruce Springsteen? Wow, Bruce Springsteen had this. Well, what about Michael Jackson? Oh yeah, well, no, yeah. they're both icons. We can do that all right. day. What can we do that today? But no, no. To your point, I don't see you know? where you. No, no. Let, let, hold, 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 I don't know, man. Drake. 
No, but no, no, but, but, no, but, but <laughs> you to can't your point. do that today. <laughs> but to me, there's no argument in what you just got through saying. Uh-huh. Prince is an icon. Bruce Springsteen is an icon. I get that. But to where does Kanye be an icon in question? Where does that comparison? That's there's the no, point. That is the point. But what if Kanye was only a producer? Would he still be an icon? Only a producer he, he, as opposed he, he, to a rapper. Or everything else. Like I think that, 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 that's is he just doing production or is he doing everything else? Or is he doing too much? Right. Is he no, s- no, but what if okay, just from an artistic standpoint, yeah. you're saying Do you mean do you mean a producer as opposed to fashion designer? Uh commentator. Yes. What if what if Kanye uh, only produced? Okay. What if he was what if he was Timberland? What if he was Swiss? He was a beat maker. Only a beat maker. Right. He would that's a good question. Um Isaac Sidney holding his head. Like, I, I, like I, I, no, I've said this before. I think that um Kanye <clears throat> being an artist and being a, a rapper, to me I would much have rather preferred after college dropout, if that was just his 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 one album one as a rapper mm-hmm. I would have much rather preferred he just stayed as a producer I don't think he's nowhere near the lyricist or rapper um, his talent level in that area is nowhere near what it is as a, as a, as a musician I think that he is if he were just a rap, if he was just a producer he would reach Quincy Jones status you know what I'm saying he would get that far you know his trajectory would have been that far throughout his career as a musician I think that his addiction to fame is what what keeps him in the rappers, you know, in the booth. What keeps him doing all these things? And I'm saying all this, saying that I'm a fan of uh, the Yeezus album. You know, I like the album. A lot of people, I'm, I'm, I think me, I think Arthur liked it. Yeah, I'm not mad at it. Yeah, I think me and you are the only two people I know who don't hate that. I album. mean, I, I, like I think that album. he phoned a few lyrics in trying to get on that plane to go to Rome. And that's but and that's my, that. and that's my point. Even with that album, musically, I think it's brilliant. But there's a whole lot of throwaway lyrics on there that I'm like, this dude does not need to be rapping. So to answer your question to me, the what if, if Kanye were not a producer, I think he would have reached, still reached iconic status, but it would have been as, to me, it would have been better iconic status. It would have been as a musician and not a style. Because, you know, just like the last conversation we had, I agree with you guys that that, that, uh, Kanye is an icon, but I cringe every time I hear that because... I feel like he, to me, epitomizes a manufactured sort of iconic status where it was like there were steps to follow, you know what I'm saying, to get to that iconic status. Whereas before, there weren't necessarily those steps where now, you know, okay, if I go, if I wear this, if I go to this fashion show, if I go over here to Paris and attend this event, if I do all these things, then I can reach a certain status. Kanye mastered that game. You know what I'm saying? Whereas his 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 uh, role as a musician, to me, is the purest part of him. And that's why I like the Yeezus album, because it's completely left field from anything he's done. He knew it was going to alienate a lot of people, his core fan base. He did it anyway, because that's what the musician and the artist in him demanded that he did. And I respect that. So I think that if he were not a uh, all these if he weren't all these other things, he was simply a producer. I see a better career and a more iconic career for Kanye in a more respectable you know, career. I, and I know I asked the question, but I mean, if you remember when College Dropout came out, he, Kanye essentially took over De La Soul's position as a savior of hip hop. 
That's why I said that one album. I liked him as. Keep in mind the lyrics that he wrote on that album. He spent years, you know, writing those songs. Mm-hmm. Next album, you know, as brilliant as it was, you could feel the drop off. You know, what I'm saying from a lyrical standpoint. Um, but yeah, College Dropout I think was a masterpiece. But I, I was cool with that after, as far as him in the booth. You can't tell me a song like Runaway, brilliant music, and his first line is, you know, I send a girl a picture of my D. You're not you're not serious about nothing, right? Now. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're not taking this at a serious. So I'm I'm thinking that him as a producer to me is a better role for him rather than you know as all these other things. Well, I I kind of agree to to a certain point. I think that he he would have had he would have been a better version of Pharrell because basically playing what Pharrell has been able to do to stick with production, stay quiet, get in every now and then, but strictly let my production and my sense for fashion and other things kind of you know. Take his own, you know, create his own little subculture. But he would have been able to focus more on what he's doing musically. And I think if you take what he's done musically for the albums and the projects he's been able, he's been able to put his own name on and take his lyrics off of them and apply those to other MCs, how much better those songs may have been. So who's his artist? Probably same people working with whoever wants to work them at the same time. I mean, you you'll get the J, you get everybody from Jay Z to the Scarfaces to the Pusha T's to you know, you know whoever whoever because at the t- if he's strictly doing beats and wants people on his album, it goes to what Isaac saying. He's going to be that Quincy Jones of hip hop, much more so than Dre, much more so because he's going to because he's able to create songs that artists feel comfortable doing, and he's already got a he already got a track with Jay Z. You know, coming into the gate. So you're going to get the commons and you're going to get the, you know, everybody else doing it. And from common to chief Keith here in Chicago to dealing with Lupe and stuff like that here in Chicago. But you get the global artists that are going to want to mess with him. Artists are going to want to take chances with him. So you get Fabulous maybe doing a song with him. You know, you'll get um, uh, 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 Big Sean wanting to do a song with him. You'll get somebody, you know, just un- unknown artists. You'll get a Jay Electronica wanting to do a song with him. So... Instead of Kanye doing songs off of uh, Graduation or doing songs off of Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, him doing the MC, you'll get Jay Elect doing some stuff. You'll get Big Sean doing some stuff. You'll get J. Cole doing those lyrics, and the albums will become bigger, and he will become that Quincy Jones. You know, so I, if, if, if he wasn't, if he was just a producer, I, I kind of agree with what Isaac's saying. He might not transcend different cultures, in different genres, the way he's able to do because he's put himself out in front street, which most artists do. They put themselves out in front because they have to be the ones that sell their product. If he stayed behind the boards and just created music, he might not have transcended, but he may be bigger and more respected in this genre as an artist that he may be like we do tend to talk about people in, in, in soul music, that Quincy Jones, like the end all be all of production of that area, like like. Much more so than we say who's the greatest producer here, but we say Dre. No, it would be no conversation. It'd be Kanye is the Quincy Jones of 2000 in all music. He just happened to be a hip hop producer. So I think it'd be different in a, you know, a little different, but I think his status and respect level as a, a singular artist of production would elevate him to a level that he's not even at right now. If, um, if Kanye was just a producer, I think it would be a huge loss. And, and I say this, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of his. I don't really listen to his music in any uh, meaningful way. But I like the fact that a young guy 
a young black guy is out there in the press day after day after day saying he's great. I like the fact that for this particular generation, and don't get me wrong, there are big differences, big, big differences. But for this particular generation, he's, he's the Muhammad Ali of this generation. You know, let him be out there. Let him say how great he is. Let him, let him tell people that, yeah, I got some crazy dreams and I'm going to try to fulfill them. And what? And why, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I sell black leather jogging pants to Fendi? Why shouldn't I, why shouldn't I put my video on every single building that I like the architecture of? And why shouldn't I believe that I am ahead of the curve of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg in doing that? Why shouldn't I have these dreams? Why shouldn't I try this? I also think on a sort of smaller level, I don't think we would have got late registration in the form that we did. And when I say in the form that we did, I mean production-wise. And, and for him to be able to say, here is my theme. And I love that about him. I love that fact that he grows almost, you know, like a lot of the artists that we talk about, they have phases. A lot of the artists that we talk about that we're passionate about, I should say, they have particular phases. And you can, you know, there is an audit trail of his phases, which I think is fantastic. And then going back to the first point, I think, yeah, just, you know, shout out your dreams and, you know, try not to do it in a way that makes you look bipolar or <laughs> manic depressive, but, you know, shout out your dreams and tell people you're going to do it. And then, you know, anybody who disagrees, whatever. See, I think his like late registration and graduation would have been back on the block. Yeah, I think he would have had a bunch of artists on there, but it still would have said it would have been Kanye West out and with Kanye West. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Jay, but I think that, and I agree with you because I, th I think that to to Jay's point, I don't see Kanye as a producer for hire. No. If he, if he doesn't go there, I see him like in the Quincy role as saying, okay, here are the artists I'm going to handpick to get my theme out there. That's you know it. The same thing like, I'm yeah, saying. Yep. Exactly. Same so thing these, I'm saying. These are the artists. Who, you all are, are coming to me. These, yeah, you these all are, are coming the artists to me. who I have a theme. This is what I want to say. Mm -hmm. These are the artists I'm going to work with, whether it be, because I can see Kanye with, like Puffy did. I can see him with both rappers and, you know, vocalists uh, yeah, no on, doubt. A, yeah. on his album. So he says, here are the artists that I'm going to handpick. Y'all come, y'all come with me. We're going to do this. And this is the album we're going to do. Yeah. I can see him doing that. I agree with John. I don't see him, you know, becoming iconic as a producer for hire. That doesn't suit his talent no. and it doesn't suit his ego and, and it's a, he rightfully has that that ego um i see him more in that quincy role as handpicking the the people who are going to work with him none of you are going to pick up on the muhammad ali point well i, I well it's hard for me jahan to i agree with you 95 percent of that but i think the difference and I've, I've i've had this conversation for years there seemed to be a humility in ali that doesn't exist in kanye I agree with that. So that's why it's hard for me to, at least Ali had some sense of humility. Kanye, you know. Well, well you know what, with, with Kanye, it depends on what day you catch him. If you catch him in that Kris Jenner interview, right. he seemed a little bit more down to earth and, you know, humble. Yeah, I think he's got one line in there saying, I'm a musical genius, but I can't work the car seat. Right. So you gotta have his you gotta have his mother in law interview him basically before well, you get to But I agree. I've I've been with Kanye in situations like we were I was we were we were kind of together with him at that Oh uh, the uh, Air at Force the, One. At the Air Force One right. and with him around Rakim and Kara's one. He was. You know what? I know you said that because I saw him after they got off yeah. stage 
And I went up Humble to him, as you know, hell. gave him some love, said, yo, man, you know, because he, he grew up in South Shore. Yeah. So I was like, yo, I live in South Shore. And he's like, oh, cool. You know, so he was very, but his whole demeanor was a lot more down yeah. than it usually is. And you're right. When I talked to him, who, he was, with, who yeah, he was with. Who he was with. He was with some gods yeah, and he, he like Raquel. played his role, like step back. The thing about Ali, I mean, he had Islam as his framework yeah, of humility to operate from. Exactly. And Kanye doesn't necessarily have that, you know. But I, I mean, I really do agree with with Jahan Armani has his framework right and <laughs> <laughs> that's his God right <laughs> right but you know I think I think that I think that I could you know we could argue if, if whether or not he's doing too much but you know Kanye's whole package is I'm a I'm a rapper producer nobody else can do what I can do over my beats other than me you know, I had a very very casual very early Kanye West meeting when I uh, when I was with some friends and he was in his bedroom, had his equipment set up. He was he was ghost producing at that time, and nobody, nobody rocked harder to those beats that we heard other than Kanye. Nobody, and I I saw it. I said this dude's gonna be bigger than life because nobody's gonna promote him bigger than he's gonna promote himself. And I think that that's an integral ingredient. To what makes Kanye Kanye? I, I I I won't go so far to say that other artists won't make his beat sound better or won't be able to communicate what he's trying to communicate with this song. But I but I do believe, phoned it in or not, that only Kanye can do for for his own music. So what do you think if he was only a producer? What what is what is your feeling on this? I, I think he'd be a, a, a slightly more of a recluse. Like with Kanye, you get the total package, right? Mm-hmm. So if he's not in the limelight, his music is going to withdraw just as he's withdrawing from that. I think what you're saying, though, is that Kanye, I mean, <clears throat> this is something I feel from Kanye. Kanye has something he wants to say. He has, to, he has something he wants to express. And just being a producer doesn't do it for him. You know what I'm saying? He has to get behind the mic and say something. And I think that that's something, even though, I, I like, I, like I said earlier, I don't, I don't love him as a lyricist. I think that I've always respected the fact that he he does have something to say and he has something he wants to say. It's all, but it's it's just maybe it's a uh, it's a disservice to him because I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, what if Kanye could sing? I mean, like really sing? Uh huh. Would he be Prince? You know what I'm saying? Is that was you know is is has he been dealt a bad hand? It's like this dude has all these things to say, but he's not a a great vocalist. Right. You know what I'm saying not even as a rapper to me, he's just not a great vocalist. See, I get the thing where, where on any given day, Kanye is just Kanye's just mad. He's like pissed <laughs> off. It's almost like it's almost like he he does not feel that he is getting the respect that he deserves, but acknowledges that he's getting respect. It's like it's like I acknowledge the fact that I'm respected, but I think you need to expect, respect me more than you're actually respecting me. And that comes across in his music, that comes across in his demeanor, that comes across in his public attitude. But that's that humility I'm talking about. I'm agreeing with you on that. Right. So I'm saying, I'm saying, I think he, if he only produced, that the, uh, yeah, the quality of his output would suffer. Okay. But you know what's interesting is that he, um, when he first came out, at least not even just then, for the first few albums, I thought that he, I thought that he was just saying stuff to get his name in the papers. I thought he was just, that was his marketing strategy. I will say some wild shit and I'll get on the cover. People will talk about me. And okay, now I need to say some wilder shit. Now I need to keep going. Now I need to keep going. Nowadays, I think that he's got 
such a sort of momentum that it's hard for him to it's hard for him to disrupt that yeah but he's kind of like I, you know i compared him to ali a minute ago he's actually got some similarities with tupac too in terms of tupac's self-belief and how he came across in interviews mm-hmm. um you 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 see that same kind of conviction from kanye i can't think of another current hip-hop artist that displays that same intensity of conviction that tupac did no that's that's a good point yeah i, I think uh, kanye is very uh he has a strong conviction for everything he does basically i just think the brother is a little confused as far as which way he wants to go if you listen to the Yeezus album he has a brilliant sample of uh, uh strange fruit on there yeah brilliant sample i mean when it first came on i'm like oh my god this is about to be unbelievable the whole song is about him being at a club and, you know, kicking yeah, with like some a party girl. Track, trying to get and it's like, dude, how do you, you know, spend the time to create this an unbelievable sample of this iconic song to go back to our first topic? How do you do that and then sit there and write lyrics about being at a club with a girl? Dude, because he told I Rick Rubin, I'll be back at four o'clock. <laughs> right. And he really got back at six, but had to catch the plane at eight. So it's like, I think that he has a... Like to, to kind of piggyback off what Arthur says, he has a need for that certain respect musically and on the genius level. But he's like, you know, he reminds me of R. Kelly at times because it's like he's not going to let go of his fan base. He needs to say, I need to say something ignorant right here to make sure that I appeal to mm-hmm. people point. who are listening in the radio. The and don't, right, don't want to hear me say nothing complex about Strange Fruit. You know what I'm saying? Let me make sure I say something ignorant right here. What's the same you know, thing um, you did? To me, the same thing you did with Otis. Yeah. But, but to my point, R. Kelly, except for the exception of the Loveland album, R. Kelly did that so many times throughout his career. Mm-hmm. It's like this brilliant stuff, and then it was like he would just do something or you say something. Me of a Jeep. Yeah, it's like, dude, come on, really? <laughs> it's like you know. But you, but you have to do that nowadays. It would if you if you listen to "Come Go with Me," Teddy Pendergrass, or, or "Weekend Girl," SOS Band. Listen to the spoken word moments in those songs. There is like no slang. There's, there's hardly any inflection in what they're saying. They enunciate clearly. They speak very, very, you know, quote unquote, properly. Right. The whole point is everybody wanted to put their best foot forward back then in terms of a cultural representation. Now, with reality shows or whatever, there's, there's a celebration of down market culture. You wouldn't be able to get away with it back then. But nowadays, it's almost like an essential tool. You can't you can't live without it or you can't succeed without it. And for you guys who were saying he would be the next Quincy Jones and how his his later albums would be like Back on the Block or Q's Juke Joint or The Dude or whatever. What about Cruel Summer? Particularly by our group here, that was received very, very poorly in that respect. Cruel yeah, Summer, but Cruel Summer was really a marketing tool for, for the record label, three for or good four music. artists. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was a good music he was, still, he was still, you know, perceived to be anyway at the helm, right? Yeah, yeah that was his... Okay, yeah, great. I, I think a better example is uh, the Jade, the uh, Kingdom, Watch the Throne joint, where he was the musical helm of that, even though it was only him and Jay. I think that's a better example. The Cruel Summer was really just a marketing tool for a Big Shine, Pusha T, uh, who else? All of the people on good music. Yeah, it was a good music. Was, the point being is, 
that is cruel summer. No, it's not. No, 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 no you're no, missing what we're that's saying. That's very narrow. We're talking about we're talking about him handpicking people from different genres, different labels, whatever, whatever. Cruel summer was just specifically for these four or five artists on on good music. It was a compilation for his record label and people under his rec- under good music. That's all. That's it. It didn't branch out past that. That's all it was. Are you saying the quality of that of, of this no. particular project? That, no, hold on. Are you saying the quality of this particular project that you're talking about depends exclusively on who he works with, who he puts on the tracks? Exclusively? Not exclusively. No. But yo, strip, you have strip, big Sean, strip Big Sean and all those guys off the album. You're telling me, and you know, it wasn't just good music artists on there. You had Ghost on there, right? You're saying strip, strip those artists off that album. It would have been an entirely different proposition for you. Entirely different. You'd you'd be talking about yes, this is the 2013 version of the dude. No, 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 no. Because you're you're saying first of all, the whole what if was built around what if Kanye were uh, were a producer only. So he hasn't been a producer only up until this point. So we can't just t- pick this one album and say, oh, that's the example. But it's the closest indication to what you're no, saying. No, I, I think but I think King, was, no, no, absolutely no, not. No, but what I'm saying is that there was a purpose for that, and it goes to what I say: is it being a marketing tool? And there's a marketing tool for the specific label. For good music, he did not. This approach, was a good music project. This wasn't a Kanye West. <laughs> this was a good music project to highlight and showcase most of the artists on good music. And I would imagine some and, of those beats and, were throwaway. Late beats. registration and graduation were not that. Those were Kanye West projects. I think there's a mm. difference here, and I don't. He, did, he didn't walk into Cruel Summer thinking, you know, I'm going to do the dude. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like he approached it that way. Right. It was a marketing tool for those three or four or four or five artists and a couple guest stars. And I imagine some of those beats were probably throwaway beats, you know, songs, beats that he hadn't used on previous albums. And he did it that way. I'm saying that if he were only a producer from Jump, you know what I'm saying? The trajectory of his career would have followed a Quincy Jones-like path. I can't just stop after, I can't just take this one album, Cruel Summer, and say, oh, well, this is the closest well, thing just, to it, so I, I why isn't this? I don't know why. It's hard having that opinion when the only evidence that we've got of him having actually done it is not what, you know, it, it, it is kind of counter to what you're saying. But that's the whole thing with the what if. We really don't know. We're just guessing. I can't, you're, you're basing it off of something that actually happened and saying, well, this is, this is it. That ain't it. Because he's been a rapper because, all these years. But the purpose wasn't there. The purpose of doing this wasn't the same as the purpose of doing late registration or graduation. But I don't get it. Wouldn't it be more likely for him to achieve the Quincy Jones type album that you're talking about with all this experience behind him? Quincy Jones had decades, not years, decades of experience behind him working with every artist before he got to the dude, before he got to back on the block. So wouldn't wait, it wait. be more wouldn't it be more likely for Kanye to do that after having several albums if he can't do that with Cruel Summer after four or five albums why on earth would he be able to do it from jump even if he approached it like that like Look, like how you're saying here's the best way I could define it and maybe uh, hopefully this makes sense to you Cruel Summer if we're talking about him just being a producer would have been listed Kanye West presents Cruel Summer it was him presenting artists. Am I right, Isaac? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't his As opposed to just Kanye West. Statement. Yeah, right. it wasn't his thing. It was like, Graduation is a Kanye West album. Right. 
Late registered Kanye West album. Jesus, is Kanye it, West is album. Isn't Cruel Summer, isn't that in the title? Isn't it good music? Good, yeah, that's cruel what summer. I'm saying. It's good music. It's a totally different mindset that he went yeah. in with. It's but what he it's presents. It's a label album. Well, it's, I, like, I, it's a label album. That's what I said from the very I'm beginning. I'm going to devil's advocate a little bit because even, even though as good as the dude was, the dude, the album, the Quincy Jones album, not the dude, Quincy. <laughs> right. As as good as the dude was, it was a an album that featured and was pushing quest artists correct patty austin james ingram so there was an ulterior motive that quincy had ulterior not sole purpose <laughs> and look who he was working with well <laughs> i mean but it's still got ghostface closer. it's still no, he the closest he, he example you've got to be ghostface for a song that's all he needed one verse. for <laughs> and, and he blew it out he tore it up yeah, yeah it wasn't just ghost though i mean he had ray jay r kelly the dream marsha DJ Khaled. They didn't have them, but you, you yeah. know what? This apples and oranges. I think that what we're saying is the same thing, but I think that you can't just take Cruel Summer. If you want to pick an example, Jay, you got to pick something that wasn't specifically tied to a marketing tool for you know his label. That was a label album. That wasn't a Kanye album. If I catch Kanye on the right day on Twitter, I'm sure he'll agree with me. <laughs> and we, if we catch him on the wrong day, he's going to agree with us. Right. So what's you your point? Said it. Like, what's your point? Like, <laughs> all right, let's, 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 advance, let's advance the discussion further. <laughs> yeah, let's advance the discussion further and talk about the impact of social media and ha- what, it's, what it's had on, on, on artists' relations and communications with their fan base. Well, according to John, then that's, that's Rihanna's whole career. Like She would be nothing without social media. Well, mm. I, I mean, Kanye got more followers than Rihanna, and Kanye ain't have nothing but five, so, six dude. tweets. No, I don't um, know. I don't know. Rihanna's got like Rihanna's twenty-five got like, million, like followers. twenty-five or thirty million. Really? Does followers. it go that high? Oh yeah, yeah. it yeah, goes yeah. higher than that. I think uh, Gaga Bieber's and uh, got Bieber's like 50, got more. Right? Justin Bieber is the thing that makes this whole point meaningless because fifty million followers doesn't translate anything but followers. So talk to me about the impact of social media. Talk to me about the impact of social media as it relates to artists having direct communication to their fans. I mean, er- Earlier, I brought it out that, you know, you don't need to go to radio. You don't need to go to the video channel. You don't need to go to the record store and sign autographs. You don't need to do a, You don't necessarily need to do an actual show. In fact, some for some people, doing a show really is the death knell. So has it been has it been fruitful? Well, it, according to Overall. our previous conversation, according to Jay, then. Rihanna wouldn't even be famous without without social media. Her career wouldn't exist without social no, media. No, that that I don't. I don't think that with. was his point. Okay, that, what was that, his point? That's not what I said. I don't yeah, think but, without without but, the goss without the gossip rags, she wouldn't be as famous as she is. And yes, certainly her Twitter account helps her. Um, you know, and and her her sort of apparent need to cyber bully people. I think that definitely keeps the wheels turning, the wheels of fame turning. But I think that. First and foremost, she's famous because she has music that people like, etc. Um, and secondly, she is a pretty girl and she's on the cover of loads of magazines and the Daily Mail and Bossip and Media Takeout, etc. They, they thrive off pictures of Rihanna every day. But what does it mean to the fans? I mean, what does it mean to the fans to get a retweet, to, to, to have... A, there was a situation. There was a, since you brought up Rihanna, there was a situation with Rihanna where she was supposed to. She had a scheduled appearance at a high school. I don't remember what city that it was, and for whatever reason, she didn't show up to this high school. And you know, the audit, the gym was packed, or the auditorium where they were gonna, where she was gonna be, was packed. Right, and kids went home disappointed. 
she heard about the turnout and via Twitter tweeted an apology. Name the school. I'm sorry. You know, this happened. And I know you only get so many characters, but I mean, it may have been over the course of, you know, two or three tweets. But I mean, what do you think it meant for that group of students to know that Rihanna recognized them, knew that they existed? Does that does that make the artist more personable? I mean, look at yeah, what Questlove is able to do when he deals directly with his his following. Uh, uh, but here's dude, the, dude, what, look, is, what, what does it translate to, though? I'm just wondering from the standpoint of being an artist, what it translates to, because we just said Justin Bieber has like 50 million followers. Yes, I just, I just looked. He has 45 million 45 followers million followers, but, you know, he can't, you know, he has to struggle to sell a million records. Yeah, I think that's the... What does that translate to? Quest Love, you just said, had all the, the roots can't go gold. As an artist, you're still trying to move units. Am I right? So if it, if it doesn't translate to that, then I I, think I'm trying well, to get... Okay, what about, look, what about YouTube and, and, and my but man Cy and his dance and now he's in an Eminem commercial and... But and all, all this is a double-edged sword, though, because in an age where we've all agreed that the music isn't as strong maybe as it was in the past, they need social media, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to spur sales and everything. But the flip side of that is that they're not selling as well as they used to. Right. And it's it's the transparency is the thing that I think we're all getting to because mm-hmm. it's like in the eighties we did not have this type of transparency with our artists in the nineties we didn't have this transparency I, where you could see mm-hmm. Rihanna has you know I just looked Rihanna has thirty two million on Twitter ten million on Instagram now Instagram to me is the bigger one because you're seeing her you know mm-hmm. in, in real time mm-hmm. not just hearing her you're actually seeing her and hearing her because she can leave comments on the pictures so you're seeing where she's at what she's doing, what she has on. You know, she takes pictures of herself when she just wakes up in the morning. Name me an artist. Right. You know what I'm saying? The 80s where we had that type of access to. I, it didn't exist. I think that started to change. I, I, I agree with you in the 80s. I think the 90s when it started to change. And I think this had to do specifically with hip-hop bringing, breaking that wall. Because it, if, if you really go back to the 90s in hip-hop, that's when the merger between audience and artists started to come together. Where you started to see artists hanging out on college campuses, Letting kids come back to the hotel with them, do the exact, you know, where they, where there wasn't a wall with them treating themselves like, like our Jodeci was Joe. You could go to a Jodeci concert and and go to the hotel afterward, and there was Jodeci right there. Right, you talk to them, and they, you talk to them, and they they be doing the same thing, and a lot of your EPMD the same way. Yeah. You go to the after party in the club, they be right there. So what started to happen in the nineties? Is that I think hip hop, and I started to see it. Hip hop artists started to become more connected to the fan base, and that translated to artists feeling more comfortable and breaking that wall, wanting to be more in touch with their fans. Did it translate into sales? You think? I, I think it translated to interest to a certain degree. There's, there's not a particular study that I've done, you know. But I think I'm not knocking what I say. I think what I say is is, is, is 100% right. But I'm saying I think in the 90s that's what you, it. I don't think this just came out of anywhere. I just don't think this was like artist, fan, and then all of a sudden they started to merge. No, I think there was a transition period when artists really started to have a different connection with their audiences. And it started basically with elements of hip hop, especially down south. Yeah, especially down south. I agree with you. I think there was a, a, a slight, a spark maybe there. But this is unprecedented. You know, we're seeing, you know, when 32 million people have that type of access to somebody, 10 million people on Instagram can see what you look like. 10 million. You know what I'm saying? What you look like when you wake up in the morning. You know, what does that do to your relationship with this artist? And why, to Scoop's point, does that not translate into more sales? 
You Could know, it be that it kills we, the Do we net? know that it doesn't, though? Do we know that it doesn't? Like That's it, a good point, because maybe have, she have would we, only sell, you know, 500,000. Right, right. That's I mean, a good we, point. Have we looked that's at artists? That's a good point. Do we, do we know artists um, who have a far smaller following who are still selling the same amount mm-hmm. as her? Yeah, I, I don't know. I have no idea. This is not an area of music that I'm familiar with or even want to be familiar with. But I think that the point being is people crave that access now. Now they've got it. Mm-hmm. You know, I bet you there are people at home refreshing, you know, apart from Isaac, refreshing um, Rihanna's Instagram. <laughs> you know, like, where's the new picture? Where, but, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's just just mm-hmm. like how we used to beg for singles or, you know, you know, when's the next album coming out or whatever. I'm sure now there is like a, just a constant stream of people who are... Th- that is product that you know rihanna on this is the rihanna show jesus christ but that, that um, <laughs> justin bieber let's use him yeah okay cool the you know those photos that artist whoever it is on instagram that's product that's content even their tweets even their opinions and their personality um you know we used product to, well yeah we used to run to the newsstand to get rolling stone or smash hits or blues and soul or whatever vibe we've talked about in the past we used to run to get that, to get those interviews. That's our insight into this person. You don't have to do that nowadays. The interview mm-hmm. is live and it's every two and a half seconds. Right, but also those institutions are going away. So really the artists need social media to be able to get their message out one way or the other. They needed to counter what's being attacked against them because back in the day, they didn't have 24-hour surveillance that they're under also. You have to keep that in mind. Part of the social media is for the artists to have their own voice and control of their own voice as opposed to the TMZs mm-hmm. and the YouTubes where they don't have access to control or like, what I'm they have to say. Dead. I'm not dead. Or I'm, uh, they get caught out of a club doing something. They get caught, you know, where news, like they're under 24-hour surveillance at mm-hmm. all time and they don't have control of what's being put out of there. You know, but, if but they're they leaving, put, but, if, they, if they come from a club drunk. They used to be able to do that in the day. We wouldn't get that in, in the Rolling Stone or the Vibe because the news would be gone. But now they got paparazzi. They have TMZ. They have whatever on them 24-7. So social media, from their standpoint, is their counter to at least have their own voice against this. You know? Just to keep the truth. To their version of the truth. But it's sometimes, for a lot of these people, with a lot, particularly the type of artists that we're now talking about, for all these type of people, that unfiltered voice can be as damaging as as protective you know you're saying it should be protective you're saying i need a stake in this i need a horse in this race i need to somehow control the narrative but they're not controlling the narrative you don't you're not seeing them go out there and saying well in fact i wasn't drunk or blah 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 they don't even address that it's just let me give you know if anything they'll address it in a way of saying let me say something that will eclipse any other news. And maybe that's the Kanye thing. But let me, let me just get the focus on me. People are more interested in what I'm saying rather than what The Sun or Bossip is printing or whatever. Maybe that's it. But it's so unfiltered and it breaks the fourth wall down to the point that a lot of these people are not as interesting or as you know, intellectually appealing as we'd like them to be. Or worse, worse yet. And I, I love the idea, uh, John, that, like you said, that Instagram and Twitter are a product. Um, I agree with that completely. But worse, the worst case scenario to me is that when they use these accounts, and this is, I think, we as the consumer or the listener or the fans, this is where we lose out. They use these accounts strictly as marketing tools. And everything they say or do is strictly geared with that you can, it's almost like their publicist proofread it before they put it. They, well, I mean, in many cases, it. their publicist typed it. 
Right, that's true. That's true. But, it but some, of, but some of them, some I of think them, that should happen though. With but some the of them, is, though, you can tell you can tell they're directly coming from these artists just mm. by the content and the 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 velocity at which they're coming at you. Like Rihanna, I know that's her. That's that's absolutely right, her. Exactly. But I think that what happens is it becomes a good thing. The access becomes really good when you have artists like uh, like Frank Ocean's Tumblr, um, where he used it. It was an authentic type of, of voice. You know, saying you knew this was him. It wasn't PR. He said many things that probably you know were either unimportant on a on a uh, marketing scale or were you know borderline controversial or whatever but it was authentically him so it gave you an insight and he used it actually to publish that when he put that letter up uh, that he wrote he put it on his tumblr um it gave you insight and access to this artist that deepened your understanding of this artist and i think that's where social media works that's where it really wins is when it can deepen your understanding not necessarily your appreciation you may not like the artist but that connection, whatever connection you have with it, if it can deepen that connection and strengthen that connection, that's why I think social media wins. I think it loses, like Jahan said, if it becomes a product and it takes away from the music. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, I'm not really paying attention to your music. I just follow you on Twitter. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's where to I'm me, at. that's that's where it loses. But that's why I said it's a double-edged sword. It can I, win and it can that. lose. I, I, yeah, but there are some that. And where, where it becomes quite enchanting sometimes is where you see examples of it being used, well, you, you, you see examples of music history being played out in front of you. Like, for example, I think Erica Badu, when she was finishing New America Part 2, uh, Gone Baby, Don't Be Long, it uses a Paul McCartney and Wings sample. And she, I remember she tweeted, you know, everybody, I need to get this sample cleared. You know, we can't get in touch with Paul McCartney can anybody help? And I think Lenny Kravitz responded to her after some time and said, check your DM. I've sent you Paul McCartney's phone number and he's expecting your call. It's just really nice to see that played out. Now, in the past, we would have had to depend on an interview mm-hmm. for that kind of insight. But it's really beautiful when it when it happens in that particular way or when you see Questlove interacting with a fan and saying, right, here's the original sample for this or, oh, we did this. And Questlove is probably... In my view, he is a case study in how social media should be done. You know, he is such a smooth operator when it comes to it, from his Twitter account to OK Player to the message boards on OK Player and his interaction. He is masterful in that. And he has, you know, he is a true example of building relationships one person at a time. And it really, has really, really, really worked for him. How does that translate in terms of remunerative value or, or or impact for him, whether it's sales or whatever, et cetera. I think it's given him a lot more opportunities than he would have otherwise had. I think it gets him, you know, Rolling Stone guest editorships or he got his book deal in part because of that. See, I look at that as a being a shame. You're supposed to be a drummer. <laughs> You're supposed to get all this <laughs> because not, of your craft. But, but he's more than that, though. I know, but yeah. what I'm saying is this. I'm, I'm saying I think he was destined to be more than that. Because really, you can argue that his skills as a drummer don't compare to his skills as a, as Arthur says, an everyman. They don't. Right. So. And that's my problem. <laughs> Th- that goes back to be, being my whole problem. Well, maybe he should stop drumming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. But he's, here's, he's, here's he's also where... He's a decent where, enough drummer. He, he's a decent enough drummer and... And I think I'll say this much. He he laid the blueprint for this very now celebrated style of jazz drumming uh, with a hip hop influence. So I, I give him I, that. I, but I want him. I want him to have all that. But at the end of the day, I want him to be a great drummer because that's how I was introduced to him as a drummer. 
of a particular group that we all thought was kind of dope. So I would like for him to be the the, the Lewis Belson or the or the Mac Roach, uh, Max Roach or the uh, you know the Art Blakey of drum. I want him to be at that level. I want him to elevate his craft so that I can so that there would so. So there'd be something on par with what he's doing from a social media standpoint. But I think I think, I think that my, 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 listen, in my mind, if he spent more time trying to perfect that craft and less time doing this other stuff, I would argue that his that may not be his. I think that what he's doing may be his more of his passion than the actual drumming. The same way I would argue that D'Angelo, I think his passion is performing covers and being in concert and being a. Uh, music snob I think that's his passion More than actually Going in the in the studio And creating Original material So I think that Sometimes you have to Accept artists And people for What they love You know what I'm saying I agree I, 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 I can see your point But I would just think That Quest is probably Very happy with his position And what he's achieved And he and he's yeah. filled a niche There's nobody really Doing what he's doing No there's not You know what but I'm saying so, I'm just, I'm, This is my selfish need I wish he was I think he's achieved What he wants to achieve On the drums I mean He's got it down. You know, Pete Rock said he's got it down. Dillas, Dillas said he's his favorite drummer ever. You know, he, it is, he has it. He, you know, and, and, and maybe Dylan he doesn't want to do it. Yeah, Dylan, Dylan needs to do some drum history. <laughs> he should have listened to more drummers. Right, for uh, real. You know what? You say that. You Quest say that, Love but... ain't even Quest Love's favorite drummer. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But I think it, 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 if anything, he should do a solo album as a drummer, like Chris Dave or like Lord John Roberts is doing you know with guests back to Arthur's question you know it's about how they connect with their fan base and I just I'm still struggling and wrestling with the problem with them having artists having bigger fan bases in social media as opposed to they do as the artists that they are yeah I think it kills I, I really think it kills the myth so you'd rather so Arthur you'd rather not have that access if if you had a choice and you could, you know, if you could pull the plug on the internet or whatever it was, you would prefer to not have access. I, I think if I had a choice, yeah. Because here's the so, thing, here's the thing. So dude, it's why don't you thing- just unfollow these people? If, you, if you're worried about it breaking a, a fourth wall or something and all the mystery, just don't. Well, it's don't a music no, snob's no, account. I'm, I'm not, not saying you got to do it for us, dog. <laughs> no, but I, I, think, I think what Arthur's saying is beyond just his personal thing. I think he's just saying in general, right? It's, you know, it would be one, th- it would be one thing for me to, to um, um, you know, say something to, uh, uh, to Paul Stanley on Twitter and have him retweet it and be like, yeah, dog, that was great. But it's another thing to just happen to be at Universal Studios with my family and sit down to a table and this dude's right there. And I'm like, man, I've, I've been, you know. Okay, but let me counter I've, that. Let and, me counter and that. Talk to him and all that, you know what I mean? On an everyday basis. No, it's, but he's saying, but I get what he's but saying, that's what I'm saying. He's saying that, it's that, like that, that experience ma- that is moment. just so much more better than the actual, than the Twitter interaction. But you don't I get have the that. choice though, right? You just happen to be there. He just happens to be there. It's wonderful, but you don't necessarily... It's not like you can say, yeah, I, I'll take that over that. It, it either happens or it doesn't. But having had okay. that experience, Arthur, you're saying that that meant a lot more to you than a, I than a tweet. I can accept that. But, but are you saying that you'd rather than, you, you'd prefer if Twitter didn't exist? What does the medium matter? Whether they do it in an interview or whether they do it on, you know, in a radio show or whether they do it via social media, what, what does it matter? What does the wrapping paper matter? I don't think it shouldn't exist, and I don't think artists should not be available to available to use it. But I think they, 
I should I want to hear more from what they do as opposed to what they have to say. And the two artists I use in example is I don't want to read a tweet or hear anything on Tumblr or see any Facebook postings or anything from D'Angelo or Jay Electronica <laughs> until you give me some damn product. <laughs> That's oh, what no. it's so right. That's you what it boils down to. Twitter would explode <laughs> if there was a D'Angelo tweet. <laughs> right. So I don't think that just focus down. on doing what you're supposed to do. I don't want to see here about I'm doing this, I'm working on this. Uh, no. Damn all that. I right. want some product. Chris Love, Chris Love, take a shot of the of the Right, right, right. right. <laughs> it's D'Angelo, D'Angelo just got through recording half a song. Here's the towel that he wiped his. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Wow. Jay Electronica put out some I don't want to you know that's about that's what I think Arthur's getting at. put out some product I need a myth there <laughs> I need a myth to know I, I don't want to hear working up to this I need some product and then tell me about it and Jay, Jay does Instagram Jay Electronica Instagrams a lot of his life in London you know you see, he's, he's on a motorbike. Motorbike. Right. And the bike is bad, too. It's a nice it's, bike. It's a, nice it's bike. a great bike. <laughs> it's a nice bike. <laughs> but if you're not getting, that's not what, I don't care about that. I care about what I'm supposed to be interested in you, and that is your music. You're not giving me that. I think So you know, those people, I have an issue with as far as social media is concerned <laughs> and the artist is concerned, Jahan. I think. Because that's a problem. It is. It is. A double edge, so it's like looking behind, you know, peeking behind that curtain. You're gonna see, you're gonna see something fascinating, or you're gonna see something very vapid, and you're gonna find out that your artist that you are, that you love is a very shallow person who really isn't that interesting. I think that <clears throat> where social media wins again is that, you know, for instance, when we first started uh, the music snobs, I don't know if it was on the music snobs uh, or my personal one. I tweeted something about listening to uh, Prince's "Wonderful Ass" the song. I think you had sent to me wonderful ass and I was listening to it and I was I tweeted something about it and put Wendy and Lisa in the tweet and then they responded and, and they talked responded. about oh I remember when we recorded that song that's what I'm talking about that type of interaction was like mind blowing because it's like they're, these are two two musicians who are iconic in my eyes that's and a good point that's a good point here they are it's talking to me not necessarily it's talking directly to me but just talking about right and instigated by me. You, you and talking right. about see, their different. experience. They're reacting to something you did. Right. They're talking about they're talking about their experience when they recorded "Wonderful Ass," and it's like, damn, this is this right. is unbelievable. And you set you you set the jump off for that. Right. And it was like, yeah, I instigated that. But so same I see. Thing with Erica, I see that. But off. see, that's where we're talking about. Okay, using social media to deepen our connections around this music thing and blah blah blah. Whereas the, the reality, though, let's be honest. These these are people. These are human beings. So if they have an Instagram account. They're not just going to be Instagramming about music. They're going to be Instagramming about their dogs, their apartment, their their whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, so I think that it's it is a double edged sword. But I think we have to give them some leeway to right. be ordinary people. You know, and to me, I get what Arthur is saying is you know that takes away some of the mythology. You know, who knows what we would seen? You know, if we would have saw some of the artists that we grew up on. You know, waking up in the morning, or you know, what their bathrooms look like. You know, that would have been like, what? This is you know. That does take away from some of the, the mythology, so we do lose something. But I do think we gain something as well. That Lee, right. that and, Wendy and Lisa me, moment never would have happened, you know, twenty and, years ago. And to me, my only point is, is you know, amongst all the crap that comes out of it, those moments of insight, they're worth it to me. Well, let's do a roundtable. When was the moment that you first realized that you were a music snob? I knew. The minute I knew I was like a true, true, true music snob was the day 
I was I only cut class. I think I've, I don't know if I told you. I, just, I only cut class one time in high school. Earth and Fire. That's right. Bases album. That's you know it. That's it. That's when I. Oh, that was, you couldn't go after school to get the album. Nah, no, <laughs> sir. Had to go during a double school. album. That's that's when I knew something was different because anytime, you know, you spend four years in high school and the one day you cut is to get an album, an Earth Wind and Fire album. That, that, that's a, that's a snob move. That, that's when you, right. That's when you know it's really, really, really yeah. over the top. So I, I knew then. I thought it was earlier when um I took my, my asked my cousin for um uh, uh, Prince's Dirty Mind album for a Christmas gift, and he got me Barcades, which is cool. <laughs> but you know, it wasn't like a lot of people went deep, deep, deep into Prince, and I really, really wanted. This album, I thought that's was kind of snobbish because the people around me, the people I grew up around, they weren't like mad like into Prince. So I thought it was just a little bit different by like digging this dude. So I thought that was my snob moment. You just on something, right? But Prince blew up, so I realized I wasn't you know, on something. But Earth Wind and Fire, when I when I cut school to get out, that's when oh, I'm on some snob shit. Did you go by yourself? Or was just me. It was just, just me. You. Just me. Got off the bus, 87th and Ashley, right to record store, right there. Right, and it turned, got on the bus going back home, spent the day at home. Did your mom ever find out you cut cards? Uh, nah, I don't think so. Nah, I don't think so. So anyway, that's my moment. That's when I knew for sure, without question. Who's next? Jeff? All right, my, the first time I realized I was a music snob was actually when my mother told me that I was a music snob. Um, I was I was about, I can't remember how old I was. Maybe it was like Two. three or four. I was, about, I was about to say at birth. <laughs> at birth, when they, when, when they cut Probably. the cord. No, when they cut the cord. He was like, the... hold on, you didn't do that, right? Right, right. <laughs> he, no, he grabbed the cord like it was a, a guitar like string. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think I was about three or four years old and I had had a birthday party and there was like you know five or six neighborhood kids came around to our house and you know we 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 gave them some cake or whatever i kind of remember it but my mother just tells this story all the time about how i sat you know my my parents went out of the room to do something or whatever and i sat everybody on down in front of the record player and on the record was my dad's copy or it was already on there was my dad's copy of santana's uh, debut album and I moved the needle I already knew how to do it and I moved the needle to the last I think it's the last track on the first side I think uh, Jingo and so Jingo comes on and my mother says that I basically stood there for the whole song <laughs> conducting <laughs> to, to the whole group and they, these kids are like you know they want to do something else they're like what the hell is this I want to play you know whatever this and I'm like, sit down, sit down, sit down to all the kids. You gotta to listen to this. No, you gotta to listen to this part. That's probably the first time I realized I was a music snob. And then it was it was reinforced constantly through my schooling. Um, because I used to I remember getting thrown out. Probably the first time, first of many times, I was thrown out of music class because I disagreed with the teacher's opinion on um, on something. And I remember the first time was when me and the teacher got into it over weather report uh, whether, whether or not they were fusion or pop i remember that you're making joe's a willy arguments at grammar school what the hell <laughs> yeah yeah we, were, oh, we, we, we went we went out. i had to go and sit outside the um 
headmaster's office on that one but the funny um, thing is that the teacher was probably like okay whatever whatever you want to call it but john was probably <laughs> no <laughs> you no. have to agree with me you're not getting my point <laughs> The teacher was probably like, whatever, little kid, whatever. And it's like, John would not let it go. I can already see this. I'm writing that scene in the movie, John. I'm, I'm writing that scene. Andy's arguing weather report. That's unbelievable. That's. Wow, we. That's. Uh, I'll go. I think mine, I'm glad John was a little earlier than me. Mine, I remember. <clears throat> it was uh, mid 80s, so I was probably around eight or nine years old. I remember early 80s. I remember uh, getting and I think it was called a transistor radio. And, and I say that because even then it was old school, you know what I'm saying? But it was, I think it's, it was just like a handheld radio. It didn't do nothing else but play the radio with the little antenna that came out of it. And I got that in my uh, stocking or whatever for Christmas. And I remember there was a lot of people at the house, aunts, uncles, cousins, whatever. So somebody had my room. So I was in a sleeping bag that, you know, Christmas night, you know, we open presents or whatever. So that night, I had my little transistor radio and I remember it caught, it got all the stations that I usually listen to, you know, the R and B and whatever, but I came across this classical station. I didn't even know what classical music was at this time. So it came across this classical station and I was entranced. And I remember putting it next to my sleeping bag that night, listening to it, you know, for hours, staying up, listening to it before I finally fell asleep. But then every night after that, I would tune into that classical station and listen to classical music, not even knowing really what classical music was. And looking back on it now, I remember thinking that, or I can kind of see it more clearly now as far as my opinion of what a, a snob is, is not necessarily regulating yourself to only one type of music or certain things. To me, it's a, having the, the open-mindedness to search and explore different types of music. And so I, I look back at that moment as being the first time when I completely went you know, outside of anything that was being taught to me, being shown to me that I was surrounded with. So I remember, I just remember that moment as being the first time when I, you know, looking, I didn't realize it then, but I'm saying looking back, that was the first moment where my mind opened, you know what I'm saying? And I didn't, I listened to classical music, I listen to it sometimes now, but I didn't become like a buff, you know, a classical music buff, but it was just the first time where my mind just kind of really expanded. And then, you know, later on in middle school, I started listening to jazz, nobody around me, you know, my father wasn't a big uh, jazz person, he's more soul, you know what I'm saying, uh, Al Green, Marvin and all them. But I started listening to jazz, you know what I'm saying, because my mind had opened up already. And so to me, that's what, you know, snobbery is, is that type of exploration, you know, really, of being able to uh, to, to, to go different places and wanting to, uh, to, to experience different types of music. For, you know, for John, you know, real quick, uh, for all the, the grief that we give John about being very narrow in his taste, his iPod when I'm when I was over in London, it's like, dude, he got stuff on there that's like from every you know corner of the world, all these type of genres, and to me, that's true snobbery. You know, that's true snobbery. Can can I ask you? Um, that was quite a beautiful description you gave about the first moment and being entranced. Do you still experience that every now and then today? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Music. And I think now it's funny because now I have to, I have to make myself listening to different things because when I get entranced by something, I generally just like get lost in that and kind of like stay there, um, probably to my detriment sometimes. But 
Yeah, I have a you know I have a radio in my in my bedroom now. Not a radio, but you know uh, whatever the plays. The you still iPod. got the same transistor, the same <laughs> sleeping bag, <laughs> same sleeping bag. I, I, I hope we all leave it. He goes and zips <laughs> up and pulls I, the antenna. I don't, I don't sleep in the bed. I sleep. In I the hope you bed. do though. Yeah, you probably, yeah. You I really know what? I think my brother really broke that. I think my brother broke the antenna on that transistor. And I remember I kept the radio for a long time. I would have to. I'd have been like, I ain't listening to this shit anymore. Let <laughs> 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 it go, Travis. Let it go, Travis. I feel you. Right. Damn, eight-year-old listening to Tchaikovsky. <laughs> like, yo, I gotta shut this down, man. Nah, Mozart was my This favorite, Mozart, Mozart thing gotta go. Yeah, Mozart right. was dope. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and actually when I saw Amadeus, that was like, wow, when I saw the movie, that was well. But anyway, um, to answer your question, Jay, yeah, I keep a, you know, I still sometimes turn the TV off, turn everything off and just have music going and, I think that's the way, you know, people should experience it sometimes and just get lost in it, close your eyes, listen to it in a room. It's, you know, it still takes me um, that way, much in the same way as reading does sometimes. Books take me that to that place, too. You know, you can get lost and kind of go somewhere with something. You better not say nothing personal, Arthur. I got right. my... <laughs> I'm coming at when you. I was, when I was little, little, like three, four years old, uh, I remember that my mother bought me two records, two 45s, and it was Midnight at the Oasis by Maria Moldauer, and it was It's Not Easy Being Green by Kermit the Frog. Mm. And I took care of both of those records. Never thought I'd hear them two in the same sentence, <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever in life. Got them in the music you know, snobs. <laughs> kept them in the little sleeves that they came in, you mm. know, and as I grew older, uh, my parents both who had divorced by that time, you know, had very uh, distinct and diverse kind of collections, you know. So I grew up being kind of a liner notes kid. And and I think that that having a variety of, of music, um, dad listening to Santana primarily, and then my mom listening to Stevie Wonder and um, um, Shirley Bassey, things like that. Um, and also classical. Mm-hmm. I was entranced also. <laughs> it, I think it crystallized for me when um, that I was a, that I was a, an elitist when I was maybe you in every snob level as you was just an elitist. Well, they one in the same kind of elitist might be above snob. I think it's the other way around. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, Arthur. But I was in fourth grade, and um, I forgot why this had happened. But I remember I was in fourth grade. I was in class. Oh, I know how it happened. I was counting. I was counting money. I was counting my money. I had like maybe twenty something dollars on me, and that that was a lot of money. For In fourth a grade, kid. there you go. Damn, what was you doing? So the so the what you doing over here, bitches doing? on the street tomorrow? <laughs> and so so the teacher was like, "Why you got? What do you? Why you have all this money? You know?" And I said, "Well, and why is that woman at the doorway with that short dress on looking for you? <laughs> why you got that hat with a feather?" <laughs> So I said, well, well, after school, my mom's about to, <laughs> my mom's taking me to the record store. I'm about to get this two short record. No. <laughs> oh, God. So anyway, so I, so, so I, so I was count, I, you know, I was counting this money, trying to be on a low, but you know, the teacher was like, why do you have all this money? You know, first of all, put it away. Why do you have this And I told her that I was going to go and buy a record. And she said, what record are you buying that costs 20 something dollars? I said, well, it's an import. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Oh, my God. That is the winner. You in fourth grade getting imports. Oh, my God.
So that was the moment that it really crystallized that I was at a significantly higher level than my classmates and most adults. That was an and the teacher. This is this is pre-internet. How did you even know there was an import? I went to record stores every week. As a fourth grader. Oh yeah. Oh my god. That's what the posters used to be. That's what the posters, posters used, to be. used to be. Record stores had the, the, the velvet black light. Yeah, yep. y'all had them big. I've been to a couple of record stores in Oakland when I was a kid. You won. You yeah, won. you won. You won. Uh, that was classic. I just want to know what your teacher was thinking. She probably went home and told people that story. She might have. She might have. This little pimp fourth grader <laughs> taking his pimp money. I just, I just collected all my money. <laughs> I'm trying to get a too short import. <laughs> <laughs> From a country too short ain't ever even right, been to. Right. <laughs> Don't he know he can go down the block and get it from her? This has been episode 20 of the Music Snobs. Join us online at themusicsnobs.com. Find our full show library at SoundCloud, soundcloud.com, The Music Snobs. Our Twitter handle is Total Music Snobs. And we invite you to subscribe to the podcast feed in iTunes. And, and if you do, please leave us uh, some feedback, some comments, and uh, rate the show. It really, really helps. Okay.